Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Popcorn and Compliance. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over the series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you'll enjoy. In this episode, we take up Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Popcorn and Compliance, the MCU series, is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Megan Doherty with our continuing challenge of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Why? But well, because it's there and we're Marvel Cinematic Universe fan, uber geek fans. We're reviewing each film as they appear in chronological order, not by release date. And so that means today we are up to Guardians of the Galaxy. So um, I'm your co-host, Tom Fox. And I'm Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about these movies because I think, Tom, you had a similar experience. They're really great on a second watching. Uh, they really were, and I think it was the enjoyment was even more because it was one and two back-to-back as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, separated over a couple of other films like we had with Iron Man and and perhaps some others. Um, but um, we are introduced to Peter Quill We were introduced to his life of being an orphan from Earth, uh, allegedly kidnapped uh, after his uh, mother dies and his father has gone away um, so that uh, he has been a scavenger uh, all all of his life and basically raised by pirates. So uh, with that background, you might think he's a somewhat dodgy character, but he does have some Redeeming values, of course, uh, but he likes to steal things, and a large part of this movie is is him stealing things. So um, that's sort of his background. Then uh, in the midst of him trying to steal things, he gets hooked up with the other members who become the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they're all in a jail or prison or trying to steal something, and they run, bump, or otherwise meet each other, and that was kind of interesting as well. And then, of course... Uh, they coalesce into a uh, not necessarily a fighting force, at least not in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but a comedic force going across the galaxy, uh, galaxy purloining things, uh, meeting interesting people, and uh, generally um, taking the mick out of bad guys. So uh, 
I'm not quite they, sure. They do, they do it, save the galaxy a little. They do save the galaxy a little. <laughs> so what are some of your top plot points, Megan? Well, um, I mean, uh, the time they spent on introducing all the different members of, you know, the ensemble cast. So you've got main character Peter Quill, uh, also Gamora, daughter of Thanos, uh, Rocket, the genetically modified raccoon, uh, Groot, the sentient and violent plant, uh, Drax, the uh, vengeful straight man, I call him, uh, and just really developing the characters as individuals and then seeing them coalesce, I think, was one of the, the overriding things of the movie and what made it so enjoyable. Um, and kind of the, the, as you say, you know, they all start off with fairly nefarious intentions, um, but find a reason to work together and work to help others by the end of the movie. Um, at the same time, kind of creating a, a chosen family for themselves, which uh, as, as uh, queer hits pretty hard uh, in terms of the feelings. It's always really nice to see that in film. The fact that it's even extended uh, further into the universe is, is really, really cool. Uh, so those were those were some of my favorites. What uh, what came up most for you? Actually, uh, it was uh, really not one of those, and I wouldn't say it really should rise to the top. But I was intrigued by a couple of my favorite actors really playing against character here. Glenn Close plays mm. the female mm. president, CEO, chief executive of a planet, and. Um, one of my very favorite characters is uh, character actors is John C. Riley, and uh, he plays. Uh, I think you would call him some sort of police official or law enforcement official, um, and he's uh, very straight. And you know his his face, his demeanor, the way he conducts himself, the way he acts, is a very droll and can be very droll. And he, and he plays that to the hilt. And so I really enjoyed uh, those two roles. Uh, once again, the special effects were just outstanding. And, and I've read somewhere that there were almost 2,500 separate special effects for this movie. Um, and it's, it was very heavily specially effectively made and produced. So that was cool. I really, uh, it's interesting. Um, the, uh, how they kind of came together as a family. And that certainly was by the end of the movie, I guess the thing about that that I enjoyed was that sort of middle part where they came to, uh, if not a truce, a rapprochement where uh, they wouldn't kill each other. Um, and uh, they were going to at least work together for a common goal. Uh, we got to see an infinity stone, uh, in action, which is always mm-hmm. cool to see at Infinity Stone. Uh, Ronin the Destroyer, um, one of the great bad guys. Um, he's uh, hammering away with that massive hammer of his. Um, <laughs> where, uh, actually, I thought about uh, that that character uh, almost in um, in the first Christopher Fine uh, Captain Kirk Star Trek movie in the Kelvin timeline where uh, the uh, Romulan uh, bad guys are just um, obsessed with destroying uh, the Federation because the Federation uh, down in the future destroyed their their home world. And uh, we see the same sort of obsession with Ronan, almost a religious fanatic, but certainly a fanatic. Mm hmm. So it's sort of a rollicking good story, rollicking good fun, 
Um, there are lots of comedic elements in the MCU films, but this one seemed to have more of them. And for some reason, I enjoy it as much the first time around, but the second time I, I did, and by the time we get to Guardians 2, I think I'll probably enjoy them even more. Um, but... Uh, I had a really similar a similar experience, like watching it, you know, a second time. Maybe now it's the familiarity with, uh, you know, the whole MCU is, is deeper now. But I found it hysterical. <laughs> like, I was cackling during these movies. <laughs> what are some of the the cookies you enjoyed in this, Megan? Um, one of those kind of the the, the very first act of the movie. Um, I guess after they're all sent to prison and they really set everything up. Uh, this is going to be a heist and a prison break film. You know, and that's going to be a lot of fun. That's kind of going to set the tone for everything that's going on. But then they they totally subverted it into kind of more of an epic hero's journey and, and quest movie, uh, which, which I thought was really nice. Um, one thing I thought was really interesting and a little bit funny, and I, I don't quite have an answer for, um, is how uh, Earth is well known in the universe and Terrans. Uh, you know, are, are a known quantity, but most humans on Earth have no idea that that's the case. And I, I'm kind of wondering how and why that happened. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, and then one really little tiny one uh, in the Collector's Emporium. Uh, I think I saw it, was it Cosmo or, or Leica, the space dog? The <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought that was, that was great. And of course, the, um, the, wow, I'm blanking on Stan Lee, <laughs> the creator of the whole universe, uh, his his cameo was pretty great uh, in the initial initial opening sequence. I have to give a huge shout out to Howard the Duck. Since this happened before you were born, I'm sure you don't remember it. Oh yes, but Howard the Duck, <laughs> I came out. It was one of the first movies um, done by George Lucas after Star Wars, and it was. At that, I think it was maybe 78, 79. It was definitely in the 70s because I was in college. And it was panned as perhaps the worst movie ever. Beyond panned. Um, oh, uh, because George Lucas did it and he had basically an unlimited budget. And it was his first movie after Star Wars. Yes. Worse than Plan 9 from Outer Space? It was a bad script. It was a bad movie. It was a bad story. Uh, I mean, now you can watch it generally uh, like you would plan nine from outer space just for uh, the the value of seeing the worst of the worst. Um, but it wasn't funny. And uh, and yes, I did go see it. Uh, and uh, what do I remember? Well, I remember he was reading a play duck um, magazine. So, you know, boys never grow up. Um, but uh uh, anyway, he makes an a, appearance in the end scene credits and uh, obviously a character from a very different universe, but a uh, huge shout out to uh, Howard the Duck. Uh, the second one I want to bring up is the, the collector is always fascinating because you always get shots of different uh, people, things, items in his collection. And there was actually a dark elf. Um, from uh, one of your favorites, Thor 2, and also a Chitari, which was the, um, that was mm-hmm. the army that attacked Earth in the Avengers movie. Uh, so I thought that uh, was interesting. And getting to meet the uh, the collector, of course, is great, uh, great fun as well. And then having the Infinity Stone uh, in there. So that uh, really, um, there were some great, great cookies um, I really want to um, 
I really had not thought about the family part of it, but I think you're really onto something, Megan, and that certainly by the end of um, the movie, it's almost as if, you know, we're the guardians of the galaxy and we're off, you know, <laughs> to save the, the world. I don't know if it's a five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, uh, but um, it, it certainly was uh, very awe-inspiring at the I, end. I, We'll be right back with more on Guardians of the Galaxy 1 after this message from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I think it was, it was maybe one of the, the brilliant parts of this movie it was that it was awe-inspiring in this practical, goofy way. You know, the, the, the rallying cry isn't, you know, let's go save the world for the good of humanity. It's let's just act for once like we have something to give a, about. <laughs> and that's what really got everyone on board. And I thought that was charming because um, the, the, the characters are so... You know, they're, they're all diverse and they're different, um, but they really have this underpinning of no one's ever helped them before, and they've never really helped other people before either. Um, uh, and that kind of you, did you have a favorite character uh, from among the ensemble, and, and if so, who? I guess the other thing is it's really, I think, the first movie with a not a formal introduction, but more of an introduction to Thanos. And we see yes. he as stepfather to Gamora and Nebula, we see how, yeah, how so he abused mean. them, how he raised them, why Nebula in particular is so messed up. Gamora, uh, too. I had, I had written written down is, is Thanos is just like, go off favorite daughter and do the chore. It's just like, Nebula's right there. They're, they're both standing in front of you. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's like, yeah, I get it. My sister's the baby. She's the favorite. Uh, so yeah, um, there that that was actually uh, seeing it this time was a lot more poignant for me on on that that score as well. There's one other thing though that we both loved about this movie that we have not seen uh, really in any other um, MCU movie, nor do we see if we can presage uh, what's coming down the road in some of the uh, later episodes, and that's the soundtrack. And, uh, you know, it starts immediately in the first scene and it goes on throughout. So um, I'm not quite sure what I've tried to think of the term to call this music. And about the best I've been able to come up with is feel good music. But um, in the, in the seventies, when one of these songs came on, uh, uh, even if you had just been dumped by the love of your life, it did put a smile on your face. Uh, that's how powerful some of these songs were. So I wanted to uh, maybe ask you, Megan, did you have two or three favorites, either because of what it meant in the movie or, or, more, 
or something that really meant something to you that you could maybe share with us about what it brought up for you? Definitely. Well, I thought um, uh, my, my very, very favorite was uh, Hooked on a Feeling right at the opening. Uh, when you've got Peter Quill walking through Morag, kicking horrible little rat creatures out of his way uh, and getting into a fight. And it's just because it looks so dark and so intense and maybe so on brand for Marvel. This is going to be intense. This is going to be serious. We've just left a deathbed. You know, this is now the character grown up. And then all of a sudden, Hooked on a Feeling starts playing and he's dance fighting. And that is when you kind of know, okay, this is the movie that you're here to see. Uh, you know, it's going to be irreverent uh, and, and subversive. And I, I thought that was absolutely delightful. And uh, the other one that I really liked was during kind of one of their, their, their superhero form-up moment when they are going to go and save the galaxy. Uh, and I did have to look up the name because I can't remember music names ever, but it was uh, the Joan Jett song, uh, The Cherry Runaways, Bomb. Cherry Bomb. Cherry Bomb. And so they're all doing, you know, they are, it's their hero moment. You know, they're, they're strapping in, they're locking and loading. Um, but they're all still kind of ridiculous. Gamora's yawning and people sniffling and, and, you know, extra weapons are being tucked in, in scary places. It was just, I, I thought it was hilarious um, and, and a, a great take on the trope of the form-up moment. Uh, so those were uh, excellent. Um, there were, uh, one of mine was Cherry Bomb, so I'll move to another one. And, and that was really uh, more because of the songs, because these came out when I was in college. So uh, most of them have some resonation for me. And the first is Go All the Way um, by the mm-hmm. Raspberries, because it has one of the greatest opening guitar riffs of any rock and roll song. And um, uh, then they have a bridge and it becomes a little more pop. Uh, and then the... Um, the second one was really two because they they deal with love. And the first is Fooled Around and Fell in Love by Elvin Bishop. And the second <laughs> is I'm Not in Love by 10CC. And they're basically stories of uh, boys who, as in Elvin Bishop's song, fooled around and then fell in love. And in, in um, I'm Not in Love is a boy who fools around and doesn't fall in love much to the girl consternation. So, um, uh, you know, both of those obviously resonated uh, with me, but the the soundtrack is just fabulous. Um, He he plays this, and this is part of the running gag um, throughout the movie. He plays this on a Sony Walkman. So he's got a cassette player with him. And when they go to prison, he has to go back after they break out to get his Walkman. Um, and that's, uh, a big part of it. And, you know, it's never really fully explained how two centuries later, he's still carrying around a, either a Sony Walkman or the, uh, double A batteries to power it. I thought it was, it was such a lovely, uh, representation. Cause you know, it was really, it was the gift from his mother. Uh, and it was, it was, um, kind of his, his humanity, his, his sense of connection to others. And he starts to share it with more and more of the team members, uh, you know, and they start getting into it too. And they let us get into it. Uh, and, and sort of like, like you, I mean, I didn't grow up with these songs, um, but my dad did. He was a musician in the, the 70s. So I also grew up listening to these songs. This was like the background track to, to my childhood too. Uh, it, was, it was really, really cool. Well, I think we both really enjoyed this movie. Certainly uh, this viewing and um, I had forgotten that there's a Guardians 3 coming out. So um but in 2023. So uh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, But that uh, kind of takes us to the end of our time. 
And I hope our listeners will join us when we come back next time, because we're going to take up the follow-up episode, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Megan, I greatly look forward to it. Me too. Talk to you then. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance, the MCU series. Hope you will join Megan and I again for our next episode where we take up Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Also, I'd like to tell you about a special podcast series that recently premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network, Trial of the Century, the Enron Trial, where with business journalist Lauren Steffi, who covered the Enron Trial, we take a look at the trial of Enron as opposed to the bankruptcy. I know you'll enjoy it if you like fraud, if you like trials, or you just like a good story. Check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.